Exodus chapter number 14. We're going to read our text and then we'll have a word of prayer over these prayer requests as well as over the service tonight. Exodus chapter 14. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you're probably familiar with this portion of the Word of God and you'll know we're sort of picking up in the middle of a narrative here. Uh, but I trust that we'll catch up quickly uh, as we read through this passage. Exodus chapter 14, verse number 8. The Word of God says, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamping by the sea, beside pi Heheriroth, before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. The children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. The angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing it is to be gathered in your house tonight. Lord, it's a high and holy privilege that we get to gather in the house of God, that we get to preach the Word of God and hear it preached and sing the songs of Zion. And Lord, I just pray that tonight as this service proceeds that the Holy Spirit would have complete liberty and administration of what takes place here. Lord, we know that one of His functions is uh, the administering and ministering of gifts, Lord, and of, uh, of the service. And we just pray, Father, that this evening, Lord, we're not looking for uh, any sort of expressive uh, supernatural gift except that which is done in the heart as the Word of God is applied, as lives are changed, as hearts are submitted unto You, as our will is broken and bent and molded uh, to be in conformity with your will. So, Lord, we just ask that this evening the Holy Spirit would have the administration of the service. I pray, Father, that these requests that have been given would be 
answered in accordance with Thy will, Lord. And uh, everything that's been said tonight, my memory would fail me to remember it all, but there's not been a word of it uh, that has not reached Your throne, Lord. And there's not been a mention of anything that You've not taken note of. So, Father, I just pray that You would meet with these things according to Thy will. And I pray that everything that is done tonight would uplift and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray that You'd be with us now in the preaching. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice something with me in the Word of God back in uh, verse number 15. As we read through this passage of Scripture, uh, there is a tempo that we pick up on. Uh, there is, and this is a very common in the Word of God, that you read through the narrative of Scripture, and there is what we would call a climax point in the story that is presented before us. And I even noticed it when I was reading the Word of God. I noticed the encouragement that you drew out of the reading of the text. And I noticed the point at which most of us uh, sort of felt a little bit of compulsion to say an amen. It was when we came to what Moses said in verse number 13. Let's notice again what he says here. He said unto the people, fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. If we were reading that text through human uh, intuition, through human uh, perspective, Brother Charlie, we'd probably stop right there and have a shouting fit. We'd stop there and say, well, praise the Lord, Brother Ken, that God's going to fight our battles for us. But I am deeply interested in the response that the Lord gives. In verse number 15, something happens between verse 14 and 15. We're not privy to all of it, but evidently Moses turned and began to pray to the Lord and began to entreat Him to destroy the Egyptians. And the Lord seems to reply back to him in unusual manner. It's easy to read past it and not read it if we're not careful. In verse 15, the Lord said unto Moses... Wherefore criest thou unto me? Moses, why are you talking to me? Now, how many of you believe the Lord loves to hear from His people? Amen. Uh, we believe that. We understand He desires to hear us pray to Him. I, it's much like a father listening to uh, his children or a mother listening to her children. And you love the uh, melodious tones uh, until you've been listening to it for about four or five hours. Somebody say amen to that. And then pretty soon you're ready to tell them to hush. Amen. I love to hear my children talk to me. I love it when they share in their life. But there are times when I get a little frustrated when I have given them clear instruction and they persist, uh, Brother Charlie, in asking me what to do. They seem to dismiss the instruction that's been given to them. And I might look at them and say something like this. Why are you asking me? I've already told you. Why are you asking me what to do? I've already told you. Why are you asking me where that is? I've already showed you. Why are you asking me this question? Brother Ken, I've already answered. And it seems to me in the reading of the text of the Word of God tonight that the tenor and spirit of God's reply is something similar to that interaction. He looks at Moses and says, Wherefore Christ thou... Unto me. Now, it's not that God minded to hear from Moses. He, no doubt, as is true of all of His children, loved to hear from Moses. But why did He ask this question? Because of what He says in the very next phrase. He says, speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. 
In other words, Moses is praying and crying to God. He's asking God to destroy their enemies. The children of Israel are murmuring and complaining. The armies of Egypt are bearing down upon them. And God says something to Moses that you and I probably say if we're driving about half a dozen times. And it's this, go on, why are you being so slow? In other words, the instruction that Moses is given is essentially this. Moses, keep going. Can I preach to you for a few moments not on this thought? Keep going. How many of you know that we're living in days where it would be awful easy to quit? be easy to quit on church. A lot of people are. It'd be easy to quit on a prayer life. A lot of people are, and some have never even started. It'd be real easy to quit in this matter of witnessing and testifying and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of people have laid down that banner. But I'd just give you this advice tonight. We ought to just keep going. And we ought to keep going on for the Lord. Now, I want you to notice three thoughts with me in our passage, and then we'll be done this evening. Can I say a word first about the context of our passage. I think it's important to understand where the children of Israel found themselves. When I read through this passage, and I won't reread every portion of the text, but I do notice that in verses 8 and 9, we find the military closing upon the children of Israel. They have left Egypt with a high hand uh, under the uh, permission and liberty granted by that tenth miracle of the angel uh, of death in uh, Exodus chapter number 12. Uh, they have left... Not not just barely scraping by. Brother Charlie, they've not left having to look over their shoulder, but they have left with full coffers. They have left with full lunch boxes. They have left with good horses and good camels. They have left, as the Bible says, with a high hand. If you had gone to the camp of the children of Israel a few moments prior to our text and said, how do you think it's going? They would have said, I think it's going great. I entered Egypt and I was born into Egypt a slave, but now I leave a free person. I was born into poverty, but now I have left in prosperity. I was born into bondage, but now I have left in liberty. For the kin, they would have said, it's going well. But it didn't take long. And they began to hear the horse hoofs. And they began to hear the chariot wheels. And they began to hear the cries of those that drove those chariots behind them. Can I just say to you, there will be times in your life everything will be going pretty well. And if you were to ask you in that moment if you're ever going to have any problems, you'd probably say, no, it's clear sailing, clear sailing, Brother Jim. But the truth is, in a moment, things can change. Everything was going smooth for them. And then all of a sudden, a problem comes riding over the horizon, Brother Fred, in a chariot, and everything has changed. So when I see this passage, I see the closing military. And can I remind you, they were what we might say between a rock and a hard place. Or we might say this, they were between an army and a wet place. They have the Red Sea in front of them. They have Egypt's armies behind them. And now here's this very simple question that's at the heart of what we're going to preach on tonight. What are they going to do about it? What do you and I do when we're faced with problems? If your life's anything like mine, you don't have to go but a day or two and a problem pretty sizable will arrive. And you'll have to have a decision. You'll have to determine what you're going to do. Really, I think if we pay careful attention to our lives, we'll find that some problems that we may dismiss or disregard or may not even notice uh, crop up. And probably there's not a day that we live that is not faced with some degree of problem, with some degree of choice making, with some point and frame in which we must make a decision 
as to what we're going to do. And that's where they find themselves. Maybe on a small scale, certainly for them on a large scale, but they find themselves in the midst of two problems. What did they do? How did they respond? Well, I see not only the closing military in this passage, but I also notice the complaining multitude. Look down at verse 10. I will read this because I want you to notice something. It says, When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth? Out of Egypt. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. What do you reckon they had on their minds at that moment? Did you notice how many times they said Egypt, Brother Charlie? How many times they said Egyptians, just over and over again. I remember I used to work at an auto parts store, and uh, the the Bivocational pastors find themselves in unique circumstances because they'll they'll work jobs, but they've got another income, and so you work weird jobs. I worked a job delivering auto parts, so it was it was basically me and a handful of high school kids, and then some retirees that were just bored and needed something to do, working this job. And um, I remember we used to have this fella uh, there that was from Michigan. His name was Nort. I don't think that was really his name, but that was all he'd be willing to tell us was Nort. And Nort used to spend all of his time complaining about the fact that he was in Tennessee. I don't know what brought him down here. Now, let me make a statement here. I'm not, I'm not making a general statement about people from Michigan or from uh, New York. We've got people in the uh, sanctuary tonight from Michigan, from New York, from California, uh, from all kinds of places. I won't tell you who's from California got people from all over, and we love every one of them, and we praise the Lord that God has granted us an, an open door and uh, to minister in a friendship. That being said, uh, Nort seemed to not realize that Michigan still was there. And if he wasn't happy in Tennessee, the same road that brought him down would carry him back up. And Nort spent all of his time complaining about living in Tennessee. Anytime you'd interact with them, all you'd hear about is, man, it was better in Michigan. All you'd hear about was, man, it was better when I was back up north. Oh, man, you, you know, you think you, uh, listen, I mean, if it snowed, Brother Ken, that was it. That was it. You and Nort was going to have it round and round about the snow if it snowed. He was going to say something like this, you call this snow. <laughs> so I don't know, Nort, it's frozen water. That's what I'd call it. This ain't snow. Anything that had to do with anything. And this isn't an unusual thing. People do this all over. We went out west. People say, you think this is a mountain? And, uh, you know, uh, we could do the same thing. We'd go out there. they got itty-bitty rivers out there. We'd go and stand over every single river they got and say, you think this is a river? We got the Mississippi. But what I find in this passage, we're about to go in the ditch here. Stay with me. What I find in this passage is a complaintive multitude. They could not see what God desired to do. But Ken, instead, they saw what the devil desired to do in their life. 
You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, I would say this. Whenever we come into problems in our life, we have one of two ways we can look at it, man. We can either look at that thing as an obstacle or an opportunity. Now, I'm not talking about no Tony Robbins down by the uh, airport motivational speaking. I'm talking about what God's going to do with our circumstances, whatever they may be. Can I tell you this? There's nothing you or I find ourselves in but, but that God knew about it, was aware of it, has taken account of it. It may have surprised us, but has it ever dawned on you that nothing's ever dawned on God. It may be a surprise to you. It has not surprised Him. But when faced with this problem, there will always, listen now, be a crowd that wants to focus on what in their mind could have been and wants to stay or retreat back to where they used to be. And that's where the children of Israel were here. Egypt, 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 Egypt. The fact is, they were slaves in Egypt. God had brought them out of Egypt for a reason. God had a better place for them. God had a better land for them. You know, it's tough to complain and praise the Lord at the same time. It just can't live in the same place. Uh, the old uh, uh, old uh, Maze Jackson used to say that a praying knee uh, or, and, or a dancing foot and a praying knee can't live on the same leg. Can I tell you this? A complaining tongue and a praising tongue can't live in the same mouth. There will always be some that meet their problems through complaining. Complaining has never accomplished anything. Uh, we live in a society today that has put a fair market value on complaining. There's people uh, get further ahead in their life through complaining. Can I tell you something? It is a false advancement. You never really get further in life by complaining. And spiritually speaking, you'll always get further in faith than you will in complaining. So there was a complaining multitude. And then we see not only the closing military and the complaining multitude, but let's take a notice of the confident Moses. Now, I like Moses in this passage. I'll be honest with you. Like I said, when I read through this text, there is a part of me that has a tendency to want to pause right there where Moses is testifying and say, hey, listen, Brother Fred, we're on good ground with what Moses is saying. But I think if I read the entirety of the text, I have to admit that there's a flaw in what he's saying. However, I admire him for the simple fact that he's meeting his obstacle in faith, trusting the Lord to intervene. Verse 13 says that Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, while Moses was wrong in his counsel, he was right in believing that God had the means and ability to deliver them from their circumstances. And whatever problems you or I find ourselves in, we've never got ourselves into a problem bigger than God can handle. Now, that's not to suggest that every problem we face, God's answer is going to be to miraculously pluck us out of that situation. I'm not saying that God is our cosmic bellhop that we can just tell and instruct and demand and command uh, to take us out of the problems that we find ourselves in. But I'm just telling you this, there's nothing you face that God's not big enough to do that if He so wishes. Now you say, preacher, what can I do with that information? You're telling me God's going to leave me in a problem? I'm telling you God don't have to, so if He's left you there, He's left you there for a reason. God could have got them out of this situation in any number of ways. I mean, listen, he could have destroyed Pharaoh's army without ever having to part the Red Sea. It's what he did to the Assyrian army later on in the Word of God, 185,000 that he smote in one night. He could have done it here if he had so chosen. Uh, He could have uh, lifted the children of Israel up off the ground and carried them over the Red Sea. He lifted, hey, listen, he lifted Enoch off of this world and on into the glories of heaven. He he, uh, sent a whirlwind to carry Elijah up out of this world and into the glories of heaven. And he could have done that for the children of Israel, but he did not do that. Instead, he left them in their situation. 
so that He might deliver them in a miraculous way. Sometimes God allows us to persist in our problems, not because He hates us, because He does not hate us, not because He is powerless to change our circumstances, because He's never powerless to change our circumstances, but because He is providential in the orchestration of our life. Moses had it right. He trusted the Lord. He had it wrong as to what they were to do. But he had it right that they were to trust the Lord. And you know that God, Moses, he may have had the wrong instruction. He had the right spirit. And I believe that truth and actions matter. I do believe it makes a difference. But I do believe that God will deal in grace if we have the right intentions and spirit. And that's what God does with Moses. He instructs him. He tells them what to do. So I see the context here, and it's important that we understand that the children of Israel, this isn't no casual stroll, man. I mean, they're, they're in the middle of two problems, and one of the two is gonna have to be dealt with. Wouldn't you know it, God dealt with both of them? Because that's how miraculous God is. So notice not only the context, but notice the commandment in verse 15. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forth. Now, there's something implicit going on here. It would seem as though in God's interactions with Moses, Moses already had instructions as to what to do. Lo and behold, when we read in the Word of God, we find out that he did. Earlier on, God had given instruction that he was going to lead the children of Israel with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. We find out later on in our text that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud had hovered out above the Red Sea. In other words... The previous marching orders, Brother Ken, had not been nullified. They had to do what they were commanded to do. In other words, I see this. I want you to notice with me the responsibility to keep going. You say, what do you mean, preacher? It seems like it never entered into God's mind that they would stop. Now, I want to be careful with what I'm saying. God is omniscient and He knows all things and He knew what they would do. But in His interactions with them, God just simply takes for granted that they would not stop, that they would keep going. Do you know why? Because anything other than to keep going is not an option. Are you listening to me tonight? Any other option is not an option. For instance, there were really two options on the table according to what the children of Israel said. The first was when they began to complain. And what are they really saying? When they say, Brother Larry, that that it was better for us in Egypt, what they're really saying is, we want to go back to Egypt. Can I give you a for instance? If you and your uh, wife are discussing where you want to stop and get something to eat on the way home, and you say, well, I'd love to have crystals. And she says, well, I'd love to have Burger King." but I'll do whatever you want to do. That does not mean that she will do whatever you want to do and be happy about it. It probably means if you go to Crystal, she won't jump out at a red light and run down to the Burger King. But it does not mean that that was the ideal thing to do. There's an implicit thing going on. All of us men understand that. And if we don't, we better learn it real quick. There's an implicit thing taking place here. When they were saying it would have been better in Egypt, they were saying, let's go back to Egypt. But you know, the reality of it is this. Retreating wasn't an option. It wasn't an option. For one simple reason. Why had God brought them out of Egypt? God had brought them out to take them into the promised land. And you know what Egypt may have been? It may have been a a land with leeks and onions and cucumbers and eels and fish. Sounds delicious, don't it? You'd have to be real hungry. (laughs) But it may have been a place that to them was characterized by some semblance of security or stability. But you know what Egypt wasn't? It wasn't the promised land. Put simply, it wasn't the will of God. 
for them as a people. Can I tell you something? Going back ain't the will of God. Now you say, well, preacher, what do you mean by that? I'm talking about regressing in our spiritual development. I'm talking about moving backwards on our commitment to the Lord. It's not the will of God that we give up on the house of God. It's not the will of God we give up on studying our Bible. It's not the will of God we give up in our prayer life. It's not the will of God we give up in personal standards. It's not the will of God that we make a move towards the world and worldliness. I'm telling you that retreat is not an option if you want to do the will of God. You see, for them, it wasn't even something to be talked about according to the way that God speaks. He does not rebuke them. He ignores what they said. And the reason why is because it was foolish for them even to admit it. Could you imagine how foolish it would have been after all God had done to take them out of Egypt for them to turn around and go back into Egypt? Can I, can I make a theological statement here? Buckle up your shoes. I'm going to make one. God didn't save us out of the world just for us to go back into the world. I'm not saying your salvation is predicated on your commitment to the Lord or your willingness to stay close and clean. We understand our salvation is by grace through faith. It's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of God. But I am just telling you how foolish it would have been for God to do all He did to save us out of the world just for us to go back to the world. Going back wasn't an option. Retreat wasn't an option. But now stop and think about what Moses says. Moses, I mean, you know, you've heard the statement, you know, uh, that, that good enough for government work. Moses' statement may have not been perfect, but it was good enough for government work. It wasn't a great statement, but it would have done until a better one showed up, Brother Ken. And that's what happened. A better statement showed up. But I, really what Moses said sounds pretty good. It sounds so good we preach on it all the time. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Well, now I'll tell you this, if it's the will of God for us to stand still, God is sure enough able to save and deliver us from whatever circumstances we're in. But here's the problem. The promised land wasn't the wilderness either. It's all good and well to say stand still, but that's not where God wanted to leave them anyway. Can I, can I make an encouraging statement and an exhorting statement? The encouraging statement is this. Hey, the wilderness is not God's long-term plan for His people. The struggles of this world, the problems of this world, the challenges of this world. I don't know if this world, in fact, I'm going to make a more absolute statement. I know this world's not going to get better. Whatever reprieve we may enjoy for a short bit of time, it will be a short bit of time. And, and I'm just telling you, the world's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. My Bible tells me that things are going to get worse and worse. Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. That perilous times are, are going to come. It's amazing how Christians are shocked by perilous times when God said that perilous times are going to come. I'm not saying it's going to get better, but I am going to say this. It's going to get a lot worse. And then all of a sudden for the child of God, it's sure enough going to get better. I'm saying the struggles and challenges and trials of this life and this world are not what God has planned for us. And thank the Lord, hey, listen, remaining is not an option. That, that's an encouraging statement. But can I give you an exhorting statement too here? Can I say this, that in your spiritual development, standing still is not an option. We are, we are living spiritual organisms if we've been born again. We've been born into the family of God, given new life. And as such, listen, every living thing is either growing or dying. It's either advancing or diminishing. Everything is. There is no hit and pause on our spiritual development. You're either moving forward for God or you're slipping backwards for God. Now you say, preacher, I don't know if I'm moving forward. Then you're probably moving backwards. It's easy to drift. I'm going to say it again. I done made you mad about Michigan. So I'm going to say it again because you're already mad. 
hey, listen, there, there ain't no, if you don't know if you're moving forward, you're probably slipping backwards. That's how it goes. Just, just the tide of the flesh and the world and the devil will pull you backwards. You say, how do I know, preacher, that I'm not drifting? Go forward. Remaining is not an option because the promised land wasn't the wilderness. It wasn't the will of God that they stay there for the rest of their life in between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And I know that's not what Moses was suggesting, but in as much as we apply this to our spiritual life, I'd just say that it's always the will of God that we move forward. Remaining where we are at is not a possibility. We're either getting closer to God or we're drifting. We need to make sure we're getting closer. We need to be drawing nigh unto Him. So I see the responsibility to keep going. But then I notice the resource to keep going. So God gives Moses an instruction. Here's another implicit thing in this passage. And I don't know if Moses said this. I don't know if he asked the question or not, but God seems to answer it. Verse 15, the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forth. Now, if I was Moses, my question right there would have been, How? And you know, very often that is the question we have on our hearts when we find ourselves in problems. How? I want to go forward. I don't want to drift backwards. I don't want to stagnate. I want to grow in my walk with the Lord. So how do I do such a thing? But whether Moses asks the question or not, God answers it. Because in verse 16, he says, But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. You know what amazes me? Moses already had in his hand what he needed to go forward. He just didn't realize it. Now, can I tell you something? You and I, this garbage of of having some kind of inner guiding light or inner strength independent of God, uh, that's straight out of hell. We are, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But let me just say that if you're a born-again child of God, I know how you got born again. You got born again how everybody gets born again. You called upon the name of the Lord in faith. Your relationship with God was predicated on, it was based upon, and it was established in this principle of faith. So if you're saved tonight, you know what faith is. Can I say that as you and I approach problems, we may look around and say, Preacher, I don't know how to go forward. And the whole time we are holding in our hand the very thing we need. What was that rod to Moses? Well, I think it was a picture of faith. This wasn't just any rod. This rod had been used before uh, to much uh, fame and to much notoriety in the Word of God. I, I, I jotted down three things. Let me just mention them to you. I noticed, number one, that, Brother Charlie, it was a seasoned resource. So what do you mean? Well, this rod had performed miracles before. This wasn't the first time this rod had been lifted up. This wasn't the first time that heaven had reached down and touched it and done something miraculous as a result of it. It was a seasoned resource. You know, Paul himself, I think, uh, says it under inspiration of the Holy Ghost in the clearest way, having uh, begun in the Spirit, shall we be made perfect through the flesh. If we're born again by the grace of God, we started this thing by the Spirit of God and by faith in the Word of God. That's how we got born again. That's how we got in. We believed the Word of God, what it said about us and what it says about Christ and what He did for us. And we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and asked Him to forgive us and to save us. 
Can I say this? If faith, and I understand it is Christ that saves us. I understand it is not faith generically or subjectively speaking. But I do understand that faith is the means through which we uh, express our dependence upon God and interact with Him. Uh, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And I just say this. If faith was enough to get us out of hell and into the family of God, don't you think faith is the means whereby we ought to meet our problems as well. If faith could do that, you think it can't do this? I'm not saying everything that we desire is the will of God. And I'm not saying that uh, naming it and claiming it like some TV preacher uh, is going to uh, somehow bend God's will and mind and work to us. And I'm, I please understand I'm not implying that. But I am saying this, that if we could meet every other thing that we faced in faith, why could we not meet this in faith as well? If the rod could smite Egypt, if it could call darkness, uh, if it could call frogs, if it could call lice, if it could uh, turn the river into blood, if it could do all these things, Brother Charlie, why couldn't it part the Red Sea? And I'm saying you faced all those things by trusting in the Lord. And He didn't let you down. So why would you think that there would be any other course of action at this time. So it was a seasoned resource. But then I noticed number two, it was a spiritual resource. This rod was not just any rod. It was the power in this rod was exercised through Moses depending upon the promises of God. In other words, if you found this rod today and picked it up, it'd be a stick. It wasn't the rod itself. That was miraculous in any way. It wasn't a wizard's wand that you'd pick up and wield around and abracadabra things. But it was merely the manifestation of Moses' dependence upon God. It was the instrument that embodied his dependence upon God. Nothing about it that was miraculous in and of itself. It was the power of God that was exercised through it as Moses believed God's promises that made the difference. So in other words, in as much as we face these problems, we might say, Preacher, I can't see any earthly way that this will be solved. Look for a heavenly way. Uh, Preacher, I can't see any natural way this could change. Look for a spiritual way. In other words, pray. Commit it to the Lord. Trust Him. Depend upon Him. Seek His face. Seek His mind. Seek His will. Seek His favor. And let God do what we cannot do. So it was a spiritual resource. And then I noticed it was a sufficient resource. I don't have a lot to say here other than this. Uh, It worked. It worked. Why did it work? Because God said it would. And that's good enough. The same Word of God that spoke this world into existence. The same Word of God that hangs the stars in their place, that keeps the planets in their course. The same Word of God whereby we are born again. That Word of God is powerful. It is immutable. It is perfect. It is preserved. And it is able to work in your life and mine. The problem wasn't that He didn't have the resource. It was there... He just had to do what God said He had to do with it. We face our problems and say, I don't have the means to face this. Sure you do. You don't, but God does. And thereby God has granted you, through your faith in His Word, the means that you need to face whatever problems that arise. So I see the resource of, of, of uh, the resource to keep going. And then notice number three, I want you to see the reason to keep going. And I'm not going to say a lot about this. I've got to hasten. But look why God tells Moses to do this. He says, but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground 
through the midst of the sea. Now, there's two statements we ought to make here. You might say, preacher, why did God tell Moses to do this? Because they weren't going to walk through it any other way. He had to divide the Red Sea for them to go across. Now, that sort of begs the second question, though. Why did God have Moses do it when God could have done it in the first place? God wanted a leader to step up and exercise faith and to lead the way. In other words, God had a reason for Moses to keep going. The responsibility is to keep going. Don't go back. Don't stand still. Move forward in your walk with the Lord. Preacher, how do I do it? You do it by faith. As you do everything in the Christian life by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. But preacher, why should I do it? And now, I hope you're sitting in a place in your life right now where you wouldn't dare ask that question. But I promise you someday you'll get there. Why should I keep going? I hope everything is just roses for you right now. I hope you have no problems. And I hope right now it doesn't even enter in your mind to say, why keep going? But I promise you, if you continue to live in this life, sooner or later, your heart of hearts, Brother Charlie, we all ask, why should I keep going? Well, there are a lot of reasons, and there's a few more we'll mention before we're done, but as relates to this portion of Scripture, I noticed too, one was to show others the possibility. Why did Moses do that? So the children of Israel could go across. Now, (laughs) I don't know about you, but if it was me, I don't know that I would have been the first one to stick a foot out in the middle of the Red Sea. That's kind of like whoever, and I guess it was Adam in the garden, I don't know, but whoever the first boy was to eat a chicken egg had a level and degree of bravery that I cannot fathom. Somebody had to be the first for Fred to stick a leg out there. Who was it going to be? I'll tell you who it was going to be. It was going to be the leader. It was going to be Moses. And I'd venture this guess. I'd say after he got six, eight feet out there, somebody else got nerve enough up to say, well, if that's all it is, I can do that. And probably two or three after that maybe said, well, if, if they're going to go, maybe I can go. You know, sometimes people just need to be shown that you can keep going. They need to see you keep going because they think they can't keep going. And they need to see that, that they can. I remember in the Old Testament, uh, in I believe it's First Samuel 14, I can't remember exactly, but... Uh, Saul is laid up under a pomegranate tree in Gibeon with his army and the Philistines are arrayed down in battle and Saul is, is too scared to go down and fight him. The Bible tells us that things were so demoralized in the kingdom that there had been some of the children of Israel went and hid in the rocks and the caves and uh, others of them had actually crossed the enemy lines and had sided with the Philistines and were willing to fight against their own people. And, and the only leader that they had wasn't much of a leader. He was too scared to lead his army out uh, against, against them. But Saul had a son, and his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan was a man that... Uh, Whatever the circumstances of his life, whatever flaws or failures he may have had, uh, he was a man that knew God and loved God and sought God. And he looked down in that valley and he saw all those Egyptians there, or uh, Philistines there, and he looked over at his armor bearer and he said, you know, we just ought to, Brother Ken, we ought to go down there and whoop them. That's what the uh, Hebrew word says is whoop. We ought to go down there and whoop them. And uh, they said, who, who knows what God will do for us? That was the way he said it. Who knows what the Lord will do for us today? So they go down 
And man, they just begin to tear into them, you know. Uh, they just begin to light into Philistines, begin to slay them, begin to slay them. The Bible tells us that the Israelites that were back in Saul's camp, they heard the noise of the battle. And they, they took a head count amongst them. And they said, well, everybody's here but Jonathan and his armor bearer. That must be who's down there. And whenever they saw them fighting down there and saw them winning down there and saw them getting the victory, it gave courage to the children of Israel and they rushed to their aid and they began to fight. Not only that, but some of those folks that have been up in the hills and the caves heard the same thing. And when they looked down uh, over the uh, over the ridge and saw down in the valley, Brother Ken, what was going on, they said, well, man, if, if they can do it, we can do it. And they grabbed up their swords and shields and spears and ran into the battle. And then some of those fellas, that, those turncoats that have been with the Philistines that thought it was hopeless to fight the battle, looked and saw the way things were going. They must have been politicians because they swapped sides real quick and began to fight. In other words, they just had to see somebody else could do it. Why did Moses do that? Well, to show others the possibility. And then number two, I'd say to show others the path. To show them where to go. Now, somebody's going to say, preacher, the path is plain. It's in between the two walls of water. I know that. I know that. Sometimes, even the most basic of things, people need to understand how it's done. We'll help more people if we'll quit taking for granted that everybody understands and knows as much about the Christian experience and Christian walk as we claim to. So I, I see the reason to keep going. And then finally, and I'm just going to mention these and I'll, and I'll be done, I want you to notice the consequence. What was produced by it? In verses 17 and 18, the Lord says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them and I will... I like this phrase. I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I'm Jehovah. I'm the God of Israel. They'll know that when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. What are some of the consequences to you and I if we keep going? What does it produce? Well, the first thing I notice is the glory that God gets. God could have destroyed him any number of ways. But he wanted to destroy him this way. And the reason that God gives, and we could talk at length as to why God gets glory in this manner, but the reason that God gives is because by the children of Israel passing through the Red Sea and the walls of water crashing down, destroying Pharaoh's men, God said, I'm going to get lots of honor, I'm going to get lots of glory out of achieving this victory that way. And can I say this? There's not much more in life that gives God greater glory than when Christians keep going even when the going is tough. It sends a message to a lost and broken world that nothing else can. That your God's worth serving. That your God's powerful enough to undergird you and give you the strength that you need. That He can give you songs in the night. That He can give you strength in your weakness. That He can give you peace in the middle of the storm. That He can lead and guide you and sustain you. It gives glory to God in a way that almost nothing else will. I see the glory that God gets. Then I notice something interesting that happens. The Bible tells us in verses 19 and 20 that the pillar of cloud, when they passed over, uh, the pillar of cloud went and sat down in between the, the children of Israel and the Egyptians. And so you had, you had the pillar of cloud, you had the Egyptians, pillar of cloud, then the pillar of fire, then the Israelites. And the Bible tells us in explicit terms, the end of verse number 20, that it was a cloud of darkness to them, to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And I'll tell you what I thought. You may not think this way, but I, I thought about the grace that God gives. 
I thought about the fact that, that here they are in the, in the midst of this problem, this trial, this calamity. And if you were to look at it from the Egyptian side, Brother Charlie, it would all look like clouds and thunder and lightning and foreboding. The people looking from the outside in, all they saw was darkness. But if they could have seen it from the other side, they would have seen the light of the very glory of God in the camp. You know, it's an amazing thing, but if you'll just keep going, God can make a circumstance you're going through that looks like darkness to everybody else to be a source of great light in your life. God will make Himself real. He'll make Himself known. He'll make Himself close in the midst of that. And everybody else may look at you and say, Man, I don't see how you're going through what you're going through. I don't know, Brother Ken, how how do you keep going through all this? And you'll think to yourself, keep going. God's been so good to me, I don't even know how to put it in words. But what you're not understanding is on their side, it's all clouds and darkness. But through the grace that God bestows on your side, He's meeting every need and making Himself real. I see the glory that God gets and the grace that God gives. And then I I notice a phrase at the end of verse number 22 that I just want to notice here. The Bible says, The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And this may sound funny to say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way. I notice the guardrails that God gives. She said, Preacher, what do you mean? What looked like a problem that God was miraculously solving was actually barriers that kept them on a path, bringing them to the very place that God wanted them to be. You might look at the problems you're going through and say, Man, I just don't understand it. But if you could sit in heaven and look down and see what you're going through from God's perspective, you might be shocked at how far out you'd be were it not for those problems that God has permitted. You remember in the New Testament, Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. He's talking about a health problem, a physical problem. But he makes this statement about it. He says that he was given that thorn in the flesh, lest he should be exalted above measure. We look at Paul and see this great giant of the faith. I think Paul, if he was up here giving a word of testimony, would have a little bit different one. Paul would have probably looked at himself and seen every flaw, every failure, every propensity to wander, to grow prideful, to do any number of things. And that's what he nails it down to. He says, you know, whatever this thorn is and whatever it means in my life, I'll tell you one thing it's doing. It's keeping me humble. It's keeping me close. He said this, that God's answer in reply, he prayed and asked God, said, take this thorn away. I don't want this. I don't need this. I could do so much more for you without it. God's answer was, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul, you got enough light on that side of the pillar. That'll get you through. You just keep trusting me. Paul said, I will therefore, I will rather therefore glory that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, I will glory in mine infirmity. In other words, the grace that Paul was bestowed, God didn't take the thorn away. What he did was make Paul realize that the thorn was doing more for him than the rose would have. The problem was doing more in his life than a miracle would have done. God was accomplishing things through that thorn that couldn't have been accomplished any other way. He said, when I'm weak, 
then am I strong. He said, I feel the very presence and power and strength and, and personal fellowship and presence of God in my life. In other words, Paul began to learn that it, it was better to be in between the walls of water with the light of the glory of God shining upon you than it would have been in the vast stretch of wilderness living in disobedience. You might look at those problems and say these are obstacles. God might say they're guardrails. God might say they're keeping you on a path, taking you to a place where He wants to do something great in your life. The question is, will you meet those problems with the resource of faith? Will you trust Him with your circumstances? Preacher, how do I do that? Keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Don't go back. Keep going. Don't stand still. Keep pressing forward in your walk with the Lord. Trust the problems you're facing to Him, and He'll make a way where there was no way. And He'll bring you into a large place in your life. Father, I pray that You would bless this invitation. I pray, Lord, that as we humble our hearts before You and as we do business with You, that, God, You would have all the glory, that there'd be the flesh would provide no resistance, but that the Holy Spirit of God would, would buffet the flesh and bring it into submission and that we might respond in obedience unto You tonight. Lord, I love You and thank You for this time You've given. I pray that you'd bless this invitation.